This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser, and welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for subscribing. And every week, I think this is the main place you can find. Reasoned analysis from an American patriot, an American Muslim, who believes that we as Muslims need to lead the fight to counter-radicalize, to diffuse the ideas that feed in the continuum, the conveyor belt that brings threats to us domestically and abroad. And on a micro level, with those individuals that may be headed towards beginning in the grievance groups and ending in the violent extremism that's better called violent Islamism, And on a big macro level, nation states and large rebel groups and others that are often militant Islamists that carry with them an ideology of supremacism, of theocracy, of the Sharia state or the Islamic state identity. Last week, President Obama gave his last national security speech as he completes his final weeks of lame duckery in which he does absolutely nothing, forget genocides, forget whatever's happening in the world. He will get his 350th round of golf in before he leaves. But he gave that one last foreign policy speech. And I want to talk to you and pull out one sentence, a few sentences from that and and talk about it. But I think it's also worthwhile to spend some time about the horrific, horrific situation in Syria that we thought just could not get worse, but only does get worse, especially with the massacre, the catastrophe, the catastrophe that happened and progressed this week in Aleppo. And I have family there that we've spoken to and are living on the edge of life, if you will. And last, I want to do an update on the blasphemy trial in Indonesia against the Christian mayor of Akko in Indonesia. And, you know, what that portends for what was one of the shining lights of secularism in the Muslim-majority country world or the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. And maybe more that we may talk about this week on Reform This. First, President Obama finished his last patronizing lecture And he said in that speech, we are fighting terrorists who claim to fight on behalf of Islam, but they do not speak for over a billion Muslims around the world, and they do not speak for American Muslims, including many who wear the uniform of the United States American military. If we stigmatize good patriotic Muslims, that just feeds the terrorist narrative. It fuels the same false grievances that they use to motivate people to kill 
unquote. So I, I can see how some of that might feel that it resonates. I can see how that is from the talking points of the Council for American Islamist Radicalization. American Islamic Relations, they prefer to call themselves, but we know that they radicalize our community. And he claims that simply for him to claim that their Islam would feed into that narrative, so it's black and white. President Obama and his ilk and those who travel in this binary world look upon this fantasy world of his that he's leaving us eight years of Darwinian evolution of dividing our country into two with a huge chasm across this Grand Canyon of political divide and the world he divides into a simple binary choice of fairyland good people who golf and spend time with Hollywood producers and on The View and on the late night show and then the bad people who are just violent people driven by guns and evil and that's it good happy-go-lucky Hollywood types and evil people that are just deranged and psychotic so in his world Muslims can either be good or evil peaceful or violent patriotic or treasonous and their Islam can only be the same false binary equivalency. So in the reality, the continuum between the peaceful, patriotic American Muslim and the radical, violent Islamism is a long one. It's not just binary. And he thinks if you cross that binary divide and say that being Muslim is part of the radicalization process, not for all Muslims, but for those who believe in political Islam, then you're stigmatizing the entire bunch. All of us, 1.6 billion people. So it's either the 1.599 are evil or they're good if there's one terrorist. But that's not the reality. What this program is about what our national security should be about is the reality that there is a continuum between the peaceful, patriotic American Muslim and the radical, violent Islamist. And that continuum is a long one for which violence is only one of many final steps. That the radicalization begins in a separatist mindset. That radicalization begins with a political ideology that begins to collectivize the ummah, the faithful, as one political unit. And that radicalization is embodied in countries like Iran that are called the Islamic Republic of Iran or the Islamic Republic of Pakistan and their Sharia states or the Islamic states and the Sharia states of Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and other Gulf petro-Islamic states, or G Egypt, or Syria, and Iran. And many of these theocracies 
or quasi-theocracies or corporate Islamist tyrannies that claim to be secular and allow some freedoms to exist for clothing and others, but yet are Sharia states. He doesn't want to call them out on using the term Islamic. So the standard from the President of the United States is that the Islamic Republic of Iran does represent Islam because he calls it Islamic. And it has millions of adherents to Khomeinism, not a majority. He doesn't want to recognize that the Green Revolution was a majority movement to revolt against the theocracy, the failing, failing, tyrannical theocracy of Khomeinism and its Shia Islamism. He doesn't want to recognize that the Muslims of Egypt, the majority, did come out to protest the Islamist theocracy and supremacist state of the Muslim Brotherhood that took over after the Arab Awakening. That was a battle within the House of Islam. But yet nobody in the Middle East who was Muslim would doubt that the Brotherhood are Islamists. These massive global Islamist movements some which run nations, like the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia or the Khomeinists of Iran or the Brotherhood, and their governments, they raise their soldiers, they raise their students in their schools to want to only die for Islamic theocracy and Islamic law. That's no different than ISIS. That's no different than the same political virus that gets into or theopolitical virus that gets into the brain of a young college student in Alabama that decides they want to go die for the jihad in Syria, or the nurse in Colorado, or the militant in Oklahoma, or Minneapolis, or OSU, or San Bernardino. This is a common, common movement that ends in that violent step for many, but for many it does not but is still incompatible with American ideas. Obama's binary bromide is that. It's a bromide. It's an attempt to anesthetize Americans with identity-based politicians and the OIC to racialize Islam and to deceive us into believing that there is no conveyor belt between political Islam the Islamic states and that final pathway of militant Islamism that is a common global conveyor belt that wants to destroy the West, that wants to destroy the free world and do so by advancing conspiracy theories, by advancing anti-Semitism and hate for everything that we stand for, what Israel stands for, for democracies and what we stand for in the free world. Lastly, that binary argument gives Obama's good Muslims a pass. A pass as if they have no responsibility to reform the ideas that radicalize the masses against secular ideas and societies. So therefore, when he divides them into the 1.599 billion good and one or two bad, psychotic ones that aren't related, he gives them a pass that there's no relationship between the common scriptural interpretations 
or differences that they may disagree on and need to openly disagree on debate and defeat. So, no, Mr. Obama, we Muslims have a responsibility to lead that reform. We Muslims have a responsibility to understand the connection between moderate drinking, between alcoholism and drunk driving, between political Islamism and militant Islamism and its terrorism. This is Zuri Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you, share with you some time, and look at the battlefronts of reform, the battlefronts of American security, and where we are in our movement, in the issues that I hope you can take back of the conversations that we have here and talk to your Muslim friends talk to your politicians, your academicians, NGO leaders, and find out what it is that we can do more so on the ground to hold our leaders accountable to the reality of the threats that we have domestically and abroad. President Obama's last national security speech was just an abomination, more lecturing, more bromides, more division of oversimplification and racialization of Islam. Islam, yes, is a faith of 1.6 billion people around the world. Yes, Islam is the faith that I love, and so many Muslims I know that love and is a force for good. And I do believe, as I've said before, that if Islam, as a faith, taught in its scripture terrorism and blatant wanton massacres... I think the world would have perished a long time ago because you have a faith tradition of a quarter of the world's population that is currently living under, for the most part, dictatorship and tyranny. But if it was a force for evil, I don't think any of those dictatorships would have sustained being able to contain it. But on the other hand, we have a major problem. We have not gone through a major what I would think should be a second enlightenment of Islam. I think historically we need to understand where Islam is in its history. If you read Bernard Lewis in his book on the Jews of Islam, in his book on what went wrong, he will tell you that the Jewish scholars, be it Maimonides and others, did live in a relatively prosperous era of intellectual questioning critical thinking and discourse in the early Islamic era. But then things started to unravel. Then thousands of schools of shuriyat legalisms whittled down to just a few. Diversity and critical thinking and 
broad range of ideas whittled down to a defensive, unintellectual control, a quasi-clericalism in Islam that then came up against an industrialized Europe. And as the Ottomans solidified control, the pseudo-clericalization of Islam put the nails in the coffin of ishtihad or reform. And I think this program is an attempt to try to educate my listeners, my friends, all of you about where I think Islam can be in the 21st century. And that, yes, there's a role for the imams, the clerics, and the professors in a lot of this change. But I also think that this is going to be led by a grassroots effort of lay Muslims. Our Muslim reform movement is that. And I think reform is something that you can only engage in, not only theoretically or theologically at the laboratory bench of university, armchair, cigar smoking. Oh, sorry. No cigars, but the clerics who and professors who ask the deep questions and begin to reinvent some of the interpretations of Qur'an and Hadith. But also, I think, everyday questions to our children, to our families, to our mosques, that these movements have to be large, that the Islamist movement that dominates has control, not only by controlling militaries and petro-Islam and controlling the message, but by its tribalism, by its collectivism. And the only way to counter collectivization is through grassroots viral change. Just like in Tunisia, that self-emulating deli man who decided not to pay his taxes started a viral spread of ideas against the Tunisian king, the monarch, who was corrupt and was manipulating his people as was his government for decades. Same thing then went virally to Libya, to Syria, to Egypt. And we see still the war in Syria savaging the people there, but for the first time they are alive in over 60 years. They're paying a heavy price, but they are alive. And I think as you look and understanding where Islam is in history today, I hope all of you realize that we Muslims, yes, have a responsibility to lead this reform, but I think the world also has a responsibility to put Islam in its place in history, which is a period of enlightenment, a period of reformation that Muslims need to go through to bring our interpretation of Islam into the 21st century. So as the president left with his Bromide. Islam is not divided into two. There are many interpretations. There are many forms of Islam. I do believe that the future will rely upon those Muslims who can separate mosque and state and bring it into the 21st century, where we can separate our personal pietistic interpretations of Sharia, family law, personal dietary, prayer, worship practices at home and remove the schools of thought, of interpretation, of 
hadood or criminal punishments, corporal punishments that are part of governmental law that should not be there and should be normalized by by coming toward and accepting Western principles of equality, women's rights, sexual rights, and all the other parts of liberty and freedom that we love and appreciate. Syria is trying to do that for so long, you know, as my grandfather used to say, every people deserve the government they have. And he was quoting, obviously, a scholar, I think it was mentioned who said that first, but the bottom line is, is for too long, my parents and grandparents had left Syria in the 60s because they said they never would pay the ultimate price. The people of Syria would not pay the price of revolution in order to fight, and some who did died miserably because there was not enough of a groundswell of revolution to tip the government. But now, after the Ba'ath took over in 63, we see Forty-eight years later, 60 years after the French pulled out, 48 years later, we see the beginnings of a revolution that we thought, the world thought, would be the end of the Assad regime. But it was not. And this week, the world is paying far more attention to Aleppo, to the carnage dead bodies in the streets strewn from sidewalks to sidewalks in the middle of the streets. Families would not, cannot even go to pick up their loved ones. Children and women being massacred, shot at gunpoint in order to invoke a monstrous fear upon neighborhoods that if they hold, quote-unquote, any terrorist, which is basically any male between the ages of 15 and 30, is being looked upon as a terrorist, because remember, East Aleppo and many of these areas were self-governing regions after the revolution. The, the Syrian government did not have the wherewithal, the, enough troop force to maintain control over all the different areas in Syria because the revolution had taken viral control over many of these areas. Now, some of them controlled by militants of the ISIS, Jabhat al-Nusra, and other caliphate-type supremacists but also some areas being autonomously governed by Free Syria Army, non-Islamists, folks trying to find a way to govern themselves in an era post-Assad, hoping that eventually the attrition rate of the Syrian military would decrease to the point of collapse, and then they would complete the process by then defeating the Islamists and the ISIS types. And that's what would have evolved had Russia and Iran stayed the heck out of Syria. But no, not only were they fueling and arming the Assad regime, but they were providing tens of thousands of troops. The exodus this week, this last weekend, there was an exodus of 40,000 out of East Aleppo who were told they will be assassinated in their homes if they do not leave. So 40,000 walked away, as others had two more than that. Remember, Aleppo as a town is 4 million people. East Aleppo is in the hundreds of thousands. So as they 
traveled out. They were blocked from leaving by whom? Iranian troops. Shia militia forces that were now being told came from Iraq to fight in Aleppo. That the Khomeinis had passed a religious edict that the fighting to protect the fellow Shia Assad regime would be a God-given jihad against the Sunni Kafir. So the Iraqi militias went past the ISIS areas of Iraq into Aleppo to preserve the Assad regime and then go back to fight more. So yes, this is complicated, but what's not complicated is the fact that there is a massacre. Hospitals are being built underground, no longer above ground, because anyone that reports upon locations of hospitals then finds those hospitals overrun by soldiers in which patients are either killed and doctors and nurses vanish or are terrorized, imprisoned, and the hospital shut down. So now they're being built underground as schools are underground because they were also terrorized and shut down. The humanitarian reports of the, of the crimes against humanity done by the Assad regime and its monsters are just unfathomable. Unfathomable. And the UN continues to report them as if talking from their sports booth at the top of the stadium with no connection to the gruesome inhumanity being done in Aleppo and elsewhere. And it's not over. Despite their calls for ceasefire and the so-called end of the fighting in Aleppo, they will now go on to Idlib. They will go on to other areas, other towns, to continue their unrepentant, interminable battle against what they perceive as the terrorist enemy, which is in fact the simple humanity of Syria that has decided to fight against a tyrannical fascist regime, the Ba'ath Party, the Assadist Ba'ath Party, claims to be socialist and secular, but yet is being propped up by the Khomeinist militant Islamist regime which is one of the most radical Islamist regimes on the planet. So to say that Bashar Assad's regime is secular and protects minorities is a blatant lie based upon who's protecting them. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. 
This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This This Week. And I know I have a lot personal invested in what's happening in Syria. My family escaped the horrors of the militant tyranny of Ba'athism in Syria in the mid-60s. I've talked to you about that before. But I think this goes beyond my personal attachment. Over half a million people have died. 11 million displaced out of a total country of 23 million at most. Syria is the nexus, the crossroads of a diverse, vibrant Middle East that was the cradle of the three major religions on this planet. And it is being ripped apart by evil. An evil that has spawned evil. The Assadists and its Ba'athist fascism spawned the evil of ISIS, fed by Saudi Arabia's ideology, Qatar's fuel and Islamism. Turkey's assistance has radicalized the rebellion. Lost in the middle, in this genocide sandwich of ISIS killing the Yazidis and the Christians of Syria and Iraq, and of Assad and Ba'athists of the Khomeinists, with the Khomeinists, and with Russians committing an atrocity of genocide against Sunni Muslims, who've been by far, by far and away, the majority of those killed. Some studies show 90 to 95% of those killed being Sunni Muslims, 10 to 15% being children, and another 10 to 20% women. Where is this going? Many statements have been made by brave politicians in the United States, including Adam Kinsinger, a congressman from Illinois, who's just been a, a breath of fresh air about the realities of what's happening in Syria. Senator McCain, who's really been truthful and forthright about the Assad regime. Senator Lindsey Graham. Senator Rubio. Senator Kirk, who unfortunately is in his last few weeks in his term and just a few other advocates for the realities the realities of the crimes against humanity being committed for the most part by the Assad regime, the Ba'athists and their accomplices from Russia to Iran Obama said in 2011, just a few months after the revolution in Syria began, he issued a presidential directive on mass atrocities, stating, quote, preventing mass atrocities and genocide is a core national security interest and a core moral responsibility for the United States. Two years later, he said to the U.N. General Assembly, as Senator McCain wrote this week, should we really accept the notion that the world is powerless in the face of Rwanda, of a Srebrenica? If that's the world that people want to live in, then they should say so and reckon with the cold logic of mass graves. Well, as Senator McCain said, that reckoning is now upon us. And the sad hypocrisy is that the person Obama appointed to the UN to oversee those mass graves, that cold logic, was Ambassador Power. She literally wrote the book on genocide. 
and yet never again to her, I guess didn't apply here and is not applying. And listen, I'm not, I know the worst thing is to try to equate anything to the Holocaust. There are major differences with what happened to the Jewish community. The unspeakable crimes against humanity against the Jewish community in Germany. As I learned going through the Holocaust Museum in Washington and in Tel Aviv. And in Jerusalem. Yad Vashem. But as Robert Satloff wrote back in May in the Washington Post. What does never again mean? There are reports that a ceasefire was upon Aleppo this week. But all that means is that there's time to refuel for the Syrian military, for the militias from Iraq and Iran and Russia to go on and move on to the next stop where more massacres and more Darwinian devolution of humanity into rubble, into dead bodies strewn across the streets can happen more and more. Water being shut off, hospitals being destroyed, food not reaching where it needs to go. UN no longer being able to bring in foods, NGOs stopping their work. Doctors Without Borders stop their work. And now the Syrian American Medical Society has been getting some aid from them. But fewer and fewer healthcare workers are even able to bring their supplies in because they're being confiscated at the borders. It's heartbreaking. What is the plan? What is the strategy? I think the only strategy would be for there to be safe zones, for there to be a UN protection force. I don't think there's, you know, who knows what the Trump administration's policies will be. I don't get too much hope that they're going to want to do much at all there. Not only based upon their friendship that they've telegraphed with Russia, but the bottom line is, is Trump was elected on a platform in which he mocked and ridiculed any involvement in foreign countries. Portraying his opponents in the Republican primary as globalists. Now, it's interesting, his appointee to Secretary of State was an economic globalist. I think Trump himself was an economic globalist. But when it comes to politics, militaries, and nation states, he obviously ran on a nationalist isolationist platform. I'm not sure how how come the electorate divided those two things, how an economic globalist whose billions may come from foreign governments, as we see with Tillerson's fueling of ExxonMobil, how that can be different from a military political globalist. But Tillerson did have that that division speaking to the CFR Council on Foreign Relations that there was a little role for sanctions and that sanctions usually made things worse. Yes, it did make things worse for the bottom line for major corporations like ExxonMobil that had deals with Russia and those sanctions would then cut those off. 
and decrease the flow of billions to and from their company to Russia and back. But we'll get to that next segment. Talk a little about his appointment and what that may mean, good or bad. But the humanitarian crisis cannot be denied. There are solutions there. Why can't we use the Bosnia, Herzegovina, Serbia, Kosovo solution to look at how the world can come together and bring together not one nation's invasion, but a UN protection force that can go in and be that third party, that international party that protects populations from impending genocide. It took 300,000 dead in Bosnia-Herzegovina before the world intervened under President Clinton, but eventually they did. And there are streets named after Clinton in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And Milosevic was convicted for his crimes against humanity. I don't believe Putin will ever be convicted, but at least the Assad regime, Dr. Bashar Assad and his monsters, will eventually, hopefully, and I pray, be brought to justice. I hopefully, we will see the destruction of ISIS, and clearly they are our target as Americans because they have declared war on us and have targeted us in the West from Paris to Belgium to San Bernardino. But we need a strategy in Syria. I think it would include safe zones. Might need negotiation with Russia. Their veto in the Security Council has made anything impossible in UN. But there's got to be ways around that. Now, many may say that a better relationship with Russia might be a vehicle to do that. But Russia is not just an average player in Syria. They have demonstrated that they will do by any means necessary to leave Assad and his monsters in power. That to them, these are not crimes against humanity, but the human beings in Syria that are being slaughtered, the children, are simply expendable cockroaches. Putin is still Soviet, even though the Soviet Union is no more. Putin is still KGB, still views the West as his enemy, even though he may have had deals for billions with ExxonMobil. I think the solution forward is going to be protection forces or we will oversee the destruction, the continued genocide against a massive Sunni population in Syria and other minorities and other byproducts, smaller genocides, if there is such a term, done by ISIS and other radicalized groups coming out of this as two sides of that same evil coin. That solution may not have to even include no-fly zones, but simply safe zones of a UN protection force in areas where there is no ISIS, areas where there are no government forces, but rather simply areas that will stop the displacement internally and externally into Jordan and Turkey where they can take no more. Turkey now has shifted to begin to work with Russia because of its own internal derangements of Islamization and supremacism of Erdogan as he seeks to return to the dictator's club. 
and solidify his power. So I doubt he'll be taking many more refugees, and in fact we've seen some acts of terror again committed in Istanbul in the last week. The solutions are not too many. I, I, I bite my tongue to say I told you so when we were talking about in briefings in Congress back in 2012 that there were no political solutions that Assad had to go and that no matter how chaotic it got, it would still be less of a disaster and more of an evolution towards a less tyrannical society if the Assad regime ended that there was no way to get rid of ISIS without also getting rid of the Assad regime internally. doesn't need external forces, but to stop the meddling of Russia and Khomeinism. And sure enough, into 2013, fast forward to 2015, once Russia started flying operations, it became impossible for the West to do anything. And we let that happen. We even had an MOU with Russian air forces. As they conveniently have not been bombing hardly any ISIS targets. There are solutions there if anyone cares to find them. There are solutions there. For any president that wants to feel that they do not need to be sitting through a genocide as innocent bystanders, but rather as leaders of the free world. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. I would say the best case scenario for me uh, for a Trump presidency is Captain Crunch. Uh, that, you know, look, is he going to screw up a lot? Yes. yes. Um, is he not really qualified for the job he has? Sure. sure. But maybe a couple of good things will come out of it. Well, look at, look at Captain. Right. Like, I mean, we got Captain Crunch peanut butter out of it. Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's great to view you this week. Thank you for joining me, staying with me, and subscribing to Reform This. A lot to talk about, and this week I want to leave you with two subjects that are, I think, not only important, but sort of set the trajectory of some of the principles, some of the approach that I hope this conservative administration, Trump administration, will use as principles to guide what it does. We were all waiting with bated breath to find out who the Secretary of State would be, not only because of how high-level cabinet appointment it is, but because it would set the tone of the way this administration would engage with Muslim-majority countries especially, and possibly set the tone for what to expect in strategy, vision, for what possible Trump doctrine may be. Would it be a change from the Obama doctrine? Would it begin to more clearly lay out so many of the large gaps that existed for understanding what Mr. Trump's plans would be? And unfortunately, it wasn't some of the candidates that I had uh, hoped, be it John Bolton, who was my first choice, Mitt Romney, or others who have really been clear advocates for liberty, advocates for American interest and American values. 
uh, and uh, really a name that hadn't really been commonly known among any foreign policy or American strategic discussions is Rex Tillerson from ExxonMobil. And, and listen, I get it. Um, Mr. Trump ran on an anti-establishment sort of drain the swamp, so he brings in another corporate mogul head to bring in a new attitude into Washington. Uh, but listen, you know, I want to talk to you about this because I think what is what is amazing about this discussion is that this man is as close to establishment as we could ever get. Now, not domestic establishment, but global establishment, economic establishment, certainly. And, you know, when you're talking establishment, 2011 Tillerson signed a mega deal with Russia's Rosneft, Rosneft, boosting 75% of their state-owned entity significantly as a result. We're talking billions of dollars. And then only two years later, 2013, Tillerson was awarded the Order of Friendship Award from Russian President Vladimir Putin, one of the highest honors the Kremlin gives to foreign citizens. And before that, talk about global establishment. Tillerson had been enthusiastic about his company's strong relationship with the Saudis and Qatari monarchies, two countries that we know have controlled the narrative on radical Islam, political Islam, Islamism, where the Muslim Brotherhood's primary cancerous Al Jazeera and media propaganda outfit is out of Qatar because of its billions. So when you say, where are the moderate voices of Islam? It is those two nations that have the most reason as to why hundreds of millions of Muslims are under the boots of Islamist theocracy or dictators are across the planet, as are Christian and other minorities. And yet, Mr. Tillerson, I guess you'll say, wasn't he didn't care much about politics, didn't care much about the military, but to say that his billions in deals and the closeness he had, especially with ExxonMobil, initially he had worked closely with Qatar in some of the joint petroleum business operations. And in a 2006 book, Private Empire, ExxonMobil, and American Power, Columbia University's Steve Cole stated that Tillerson was promoted to CEO specifically because of his close ties to Russia. So, you know, listen, I'm all for free markets. Uh, that's some central part, obviously, of being an American. Is ExxonMobil really a product of free markets? Or was a lot of its success... success a byproduct of combination of free markets in the West with working in a very close, obsequious way with tyrants who are kleptocrats, who do not give their citizens property rights, who steal the property of their nation states in order to monopolize it and work deals with metal, with, with large global corporations. And one could say that, well, now Mr. Tillerson will bring new, will put that page of his life behind him. Those are simply business arrangements for a global corporation that he used to try to leverage change for good. Okay, I'll grant you that. So what's his policy? What is his vision? 
He gave only one speech that people have been able to des- describe, which in which he said to the Council on Foreign Relations that sanctions don't work, that he wanted, he actually lobbied to have the sanctions removed from Russia after they invaded Ukraine and began to re-expand, dreaming again for the recurrence of the Soviet Empire. And he feels that sanctions don't work. Now, forget the fact that ExxonMobil apparently lost a billion dollars in that deal as the sanctions went in. And how will the Trump administration square a policy that looks to abandon, appropriately abandon the Iran deal when you have Russia, which was probably helping Iran bypass Western sanctions for years, and now Iran is looking at Boeing contracts and other contracts that it wants to work with the West? Will Tillerson change Trump's hard line on the Iran deal? Will there be a Bolton deputy secretary who may balance this? I don't know. But I have to tell you, as a, an American who loves my country, as an American who wants to see our Secretary of State see a synergy between advancing American interests and American ideals together, I don't see a difference between them. I think where America works for helping countries come to terms with their self-identification, their own freedom and liberty, to prevent foreign interference in those countries, be it Tunisia, Egypt, Syria, in the Arab awakening, that those are American ideals, and thus in America's interest to help those democracies emerge. Not nation-build. I agree. It's not our role to build nations that didn't work in Iraq and isn't working elsewhere. It is our role, though, to advance American ideals where the people want to see those change. So the Green Revolution in Iran. Will a Tillerson Secretary of State advance that? Will a Tillerson Secretary of State use the sanctions tool against Iran and against Russia and against Saudi Arabia? When I sat on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, we asked every year that Saudi Arabia be sanctioned because of its extreme violation of religious freedom for every minority, including the minority dissenting opinions within Saudi Arabia against the regime there. And yet, who's the first endorsement to come out for Mr. Tillerson publicly? Ambassador Jordan to Saudi Arabia, our ambassador there. So he sees another one of these. And we know the the U.S. ambassador position to Saudi Arabia has always been a revolving door of beltway bandits from uh, defense companies and defense contractors that either Raytheon or uh, other uh, types of uh, Lockheed uh, companies that make uh, quite a bit of money on selling uh, weapons and arms and airplanes to uh, Saudi Arabia as our quote-unquote ally, while they have a Sharia state that radicalizes not only their Muslims, but is the forefather of the ISIS's and Al-Qaeda's and Wahhabi movements of the world, which they deny. And yet we know they are both the firefighters and, more importantly, the arsonists of radical Islam. Does Tillerson recognize any of that? Or actually, I believe he is as establishment as they come. So I would beg Mr. Trump to reach internally to his anti-establishment mantra that worked domestically. And I seek an anti-establishment secretary of state that works to turn over not only 
countries like China that Mr. Trump proudly was against and negative towards, but Russia, but Saudi Arabia, but Qatar. And we begin to change the binary approach to allies and put them on notice that they need to start being held accountable to universal human rights. And we hold Mr. Tillerson accountable in his hearings. And I, I hope that it's not only accountable during the interrogation of his hearings, but possibly if there aren't good answers about what that vision, what that doctrine would be, that Russia is not a friend, is not an ally, we don't share values, but we would use peace through strength, that we would push them to make the right decisions, but not need to bribe them with oil monies and others. Because that doesn't work for tyrants, for war criminals like Putin or Assad or Khamenei. Bribery only feeds more evil. And this is what we learned in our criticism of Obama during the last eight years and the deranged deterioration of the Middle East that he oversaw in a Darwin doctrine. And I would say this is what's going to happen if we continue. And I'm very concerned. I want to give Tillerson the, the benefit of the doubt, but I have nothing upon which to hang my hat that American ideals will be advanced abroad, but simply kleptocrats will be advanced. Those who use natural resources, not the resources of the brilliance of their humanity within their countries, the citizens that deserve human rights, but simply natural resources or oil. My grandfather, Zudi Jasser, used to say when he, after he escaped Aleppo, one of the reasons Japan succeeded after World War II was not only because it was soundly defeated in war, but because they had no natural resources. The only natural resources they had was the brains of their humanity and the, un the unleashing of the creativity of the souls of their citizenry. That cannot happen through companies that are based, through countries that are based on simply using natural resources from the soil but rather than unleashing human creativity. So I'm very concerned about a Tillerson appointment. I hope he answers those questions and says that American ideals will be advanced. We'll see. One last thing I had mentioned, it's important to follow up the discussion we had on Mayor Eko, a, a Christian of Chinese descent in Indonesia who is being put on trial in the, in the secular Indonesian country for blasphemy and his trial just began and on the holiday of the birth of the Prophet Muhammad he called for prayer he called for support from the Muslim community to protect him against the government and the judiciary that is putting him on trial for blasphemy and I think this trial should be watched because if there's a future for the defeat of political Islam, I think some of it will come from countries like Indonesia that have had, while fragile, successful demonstrations of how a Muslim majority society can evolve in a secular way to separate mosque and state. But now, with one of its first Christian and Chinese of origin, Governors being put on trial for blasphemy with hardcore Islamic groups protesting with signs that say blasphemy is criminal, arrest a hook right now. 
And the statistics are going up from the mid-30s now to the upper 40s of the population in Indonesia believing that he should be put in jail and punished for what he said. And all the guy did was make a statement during the one of his speeches that the Quran interpretation of some led them in a way to act that was immoral. And he was not talking about criticizing the Quran, but their interpretation of it. And yet this is what he's on trial for. And the misrepresentation and the intentional propaganda being put out by him is being put out by the Islamist radicals. And I think the teaching point for reform is that across the world, social media, propaganda being put out by Islamist media is decimating secularists, even in countries where secularists run the show and dominate government. So we have not been operationalizing campaign mechanisms to defend those who believe in secularism, to defend minorities, even when they're in political positions of power, and even when the majority are probably with them. We need to begin, this is why hopefully the Trump administration will begin to have a strategy that engages reformers, engages the Muslim reform movement, and begins a U.S. information agency again that will begin to resurrect the need to advance freedom and liberty. And this time, instead of countering communism, we counter political Islam, theocracy, and the Sharia state, all the way from Saudi Arabia and Iran to even secular states like Indonesia, where we counter Islamist movements within them that are threatening their stability. Just like we countered communist movements in Central America or elsewhere, whether communists were running the governments or not. That's the common lens we need to use. Thank you for joining me this week. This is your faithful American Muslim patriot and warrior against political Islam, Zudi Jasser. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.